Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It is January 13th, 2021, and what a remarkable day. Uh, it feels almost redundant to say this is this is a day that we're going to remember in history for a, a very, very long time. This is the uh, culmination of a week that has really shaken America, uh, and we are a week away from the transition of power. And you know what? It, it hit me once again this morning that uh, this time around, we are going to have a transition of power, but it is not, it has not been a peaceful transition of power. And that's why uh, we are where we are right now. Uh, one week after the attack on the Capitol, uh, Donald Trump is about to be impeached for the second time. The only president in American history to be, in American history to be impeached we have these scenes of National Guard's troops lying on the floor of the Capitol. Uh, Washington is being turned essentially into almost an armed camp. Uh, you have this remarkable break from Trumpism by the number three, uh, you know, the number three Republican in the House of Representatives, Liz Cheney, whose statement is just stunning. And then, of course, Mitch McConnell uh, leaking out the word that he was actually happy about this and raising the prospect that if Mitch McConnell, after all this time, broke with Donald Trump, it is possible, not necessarily probable, that uh, there might be 67 votes to remove Trump. Who knows what's going to happen, but it is a remarkable moment. It is an amazing moment. Uh, quick note for those of you that uh, that are listening to us, uh, we're going to be doing a special live stream, Bulwark Plus exclusive uh, live stream at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time tonight. If you are a member of Bulwark Plus, you will have access. And of course, you also have access to all of our other newsletters, which will come out throughout the day. Uh, if you are not yet a member, please consider uh, joining because uh, the, the the whole Bulwark Brain Trust is going to be gathering to talk about uh, this. Again, I, I repeat this over and over. My, my newsletter is basically, this is remarkable, this is remarkable, this is remarkable, uh, because everything is really amazing. I mean, maybe it was always going to head this way, but here we are, and uh, Donald Trump's presidency is ending in fire and fury, and we may not have seen the worst. So joining me on this special uh, edition of the podcast, uh, our colleagues, uh, Mona Charon and Ben Parker, who have been writing. So uh, good morning, Mona and Ben. Thanks. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Charlie. So I don't want to be snarky about this, but I, but I did start my newsletter by saying, so is, is it just possible, I mean, work with me here, that never Trumpers were not quite so irrelevant after all? <laughs> yeah. You know. uh, look, you know, you said in your intro, um, maybe it was always going to end this way. Um, that wasn't at all clear. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it looked like it was going to end with um, a majority of the Republican Party being firmly attached to Trump, um, being um, completely Trumpified, uh, with him, uh, you know, sulking out of office, but then immediately launching his 2024 re-election bid. Um, and uh, no, it was it didn't look like it was going to end this way. It all happened. You know, as the somebody said recently, you know that um, that these kinds of violent things can accelerate the same way that that bankruptcies do, which is, you know, how did you go bankrupt? You know, slowly and then all at once. Um, and uh, this, similarly, this, you know, in a way, it was it was building slowly with his, you know, refusal, telling the big lie, and refusing to acknowledge the legitimacy of the election over many months. But then, and then suddenly, with the culmination of this this uh, insurrection slash riot, um, which has really changed a great deal. We don't know yet whether it's changed everything. I think if there's a an impeachment and a removal then we will be able to say, yes, it was everything changed, but we're not there yet. Well, I kind of want you to know, be the optimist and yeah. say that, you know, we didn't, we didn't necessarily know it was always going to end this way. It could have been much worse. You know, as news keeps trickling out about what happened at the Capitol, we come closer and closer to finding out that we were seconds away and a couple of really smart decisions by U.S. Capitol police officers away from maybe hostage situations, maybe mass casualty situations, certainly a much more serious constitutional crisis than we even suffered for a few hours while the uh, House and Senate were evacuated. Uh, and 
you know, unless they get this removal done really fast, which it looks like impossible they're going to do, uh, we're still in serious trouble for the next few days. You know, Donald Trump, as everyone keeps saying, is still not trusted to be on social media, but has the nuclear codes. And just yesterday, the chairman, uh, the, the all the members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff sent out an extraordinary message to the yeah. entire armed forces saying, hey, by the way, the military is against insurrection and sedition. Like, you know, as you were saying, Charlie, that's kind of remarkable. And it goes to show the kind of danger we're still in. Mm. You're making a great point. This could have been worse. And I think that we're realizing this and, and, and you can feel this driving some of the the shift uh, that that as the members of Congress are briefed on what happened, uh, that that the anger is, is is incandescent because they understand what the what ifs, you know, what if that what if the rioters had turned left instead of right, or was it right instead of left? And we're able to go into the U.S. Senate chambers. You know, I mean, what if the this assault, which was tragic and resulted in five deaths, what if if it had turned into a much larger casualty event? I mean, we now know from that FBI memo that uh, had was ignored the day before that you know people you know were there ready to fight. You know, get violent, stop calling this a march or rally or protest, get ready for war, and that was their plan. They came close to pulling it off. They and erected they, they, a gallows. Yeah. Well, but what if? What if, in fact, going to Ben's point, what if a member of Congress had been held hostage? You know, if, if they would have, right. if they would have seized them and put them in the, you know, in the zip ties. Yeah. What if somebody had been murdered on live stream? Because you know what would have happened. I mean, this, this would have been a terrorist attack. It would have been a human tragedy. But the attackers would have achieved their goal. They would have derailed the county of the electoral votes and they would have forced Congress into hiding. So at least for a short period of time, they would have overthrown the normal functions of government. And Trump would have had the chaos that he was counting on to hold on to power. I mean, we were potentially moments away from that a week ago today. Yes. Uh, And we have to adjust our thinking and recognize that we are like we are dealing with a domestic insurgency and that they cannot be seen to be winning. If they get that taste of victory, they will keep going and, and up the end. I mean, they're going to, they're probably going to keep going anyway, but certainly if they have a sense that this is successful, um, that, that will feed it just to, you know, it's uh, sorry to make this comparison, but it is apt. Um, it, it was Osama bin Laden who said, when people see a strong horse and a weak horse, they prefer the strong horse. And if you give these fanatics a sense of uh, that they've accomplished something through their violence, it will only whet their appetites. You know, I'd, I'd urge people to go onto the Bulwark site and look at a, a video that we just posted this morning by our colleague Barry Rubin, who went to the event and, and interviewed people on camera. And it it's chilling on so many levels because you you see their passion, uh, the fact that they are uh, not going to be stopping uh, doing this, that they really uh, are willing to embrace military coups. They are willing to embrace uh, this uh, a, a physical violent attack on on the country, but also the fact that you know, look, they they have been conned by the big lie, and and it's hard to get away from the fact that these people genuinely and sincerely believe uh, what they are saying. Uh, they they bought the lie that Donald Trump and his and his allies were pushing, and 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 this is something Ben you wrote about the other day. How one of the things that's happened and and it's not going to go away is that the alt right has basically become the right that what was once on the fringe has now become widely accepted. And you know, as we as, as we watch what's going on here, I mean, yeah, Donald Trump uh, incited that. But so did so did a lot of other Republicans. So did much of the right wing echo chamber, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. And that's not to say that every Republican is a neo-Nazi or every Republican is a Klansman. Uh, but mostly it's the conspiracy theories there. You know, you can look at the polling and, you know, obviously we you know have some uh, mistrust about polling still and it's well-earned, but it looks like huge swaths, a plurality of the Republican party uh, believe that Donald Trump actually won the election or believes that there is, you know, at least some redeeming value to QAnon, that at least it's partially true, or at least it's somewhat or very good for the country. Pluralities of Republicans believe this. Non-majorities were lucky, but, uh, you know, and, and, and 
when you start believing in conspiracy theories, it's not just that like you think something that is wrong. There are there are moral and there are political ramifications to it that always go along with conspiratorial thinking. And in that video Barry posted, you can see it very clearly. A lot of these people mentally do not live in the United States of America. I mean, there was one guy who said to Barry's camera, uh, people have got to go and watch this video. He says to the camera, yeah. oh yeah, I would encourage people not to pay their taxes. What are they going to do? And you see people, you know, shocked when they, after, after, uh, you know, storming the Capitol and, 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 and trespassing and, and interrupting the, uh, the counting of the electoral votes, shocked that they're on do not fly list, shocked that they're being arrested, shocked, shocked that they're being charged with even minor crimes like stealing government property or, or trespassing instead of, you know, sadistic conspiracy. Well, what did you think was going to happen when you rose up against the government? You know, what do you yeah. think is going to happen if you don't pay your taxes? They're living in, in a, in a, in a mental space that is not the real world, that is not this country. And that's dangerous because there are a lot of them. But one Charlie. of the things we, we, we've learned this year is how many people, though, have been infected with this disease. I mean, we had a number of reporters who came to, you know, small burbs in Wisconsin, and they were just shocked by the number of people that believe these conspiracy theories. Tim Alberta from Politico has written very extensively that, folks, you have to understand how widespread the crazy is among the base. This is not just, just in the fever swamps. The fever swamps have overflowed. Yeah, that was a good line in uh, in uh, Ben's piece about you know that that that's that's what has happened. There used to be an alt right and, a, and an establishment right. There is no such thing as the establishment right anymore. It's all uh, alt right all the way down. But um, l let me I, at the risk of being a broken record, Charlie. Let me um, emphasize that um, some of us focused very early on about the danger of Trump's lying. And people responded with a shrug. They said, "Look, all politicians lie. You know, so what? Whatever. You know." And but it was it was clear from the beginning that he was using his lies in a particularly sinister way to engender hatred, for example, of minorities. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, saying things about about immigrants being you know guilty of committing crimes, which is false. Okay, they they commit crimes at a rate lower than native born people, or his his lie about seeing thousands of Muslims celebrating on 9-11. Mm -hmm. you know, In New Jersey. Yeah. Yes. Now that kind of a lie is very dangerous because he's using it for a political purpose to to um, engender fear and hatred of the other and it's particularly of of minority groups. And um and that was one of the things that was a, a tell early on that, you know, he wasn't just lying about his golf score. Okay. These were, these were significant undermining lies and the Republicans who put up, I mean, I'm delighted to see all the Republicans who are now, um, you know, racing away from him, but they did enable this over many years where they did not protest. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually is a is a key moment. And when I wrote my book about the right losing its mind, that moment jumped out at me when when Donald Trump, you know, was saying that he saw the, that he'd seen these videos of, of you know thousands of Muslims in New Jersey celebrating the 9/11 attacks. It was completely not true, and everybody who was involved in it re refuted it. But Rush Limbaugh went on the air and essentially found a way to rationalize it. Well, maybe it's not true, but, you know, this is, he provided air cover. And mm -hmm. so it was not just that Donald Trump lied, not just that he was enabled, but that he was, that people actually kind of admired uh, the boldness of, 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 his, of his lies. So I want to talk about a piece that you wrote the other day, Mona. Um, people have asked me, well, do you feel vindicated? And, and my answer is, and I mean this, I do, but I'm also incredibly frustrated because I keep asking, you know, why are you only just now seeing what was so obvious for so long? What did you think was going to happen? Um, you know, for the last five years, we have been talking about this. But one of the things that we had seen, and and I really, I, I look, I struggled again. I'm struggling against the whole Nazi, you know, type analogy because I think you kind of, what, what is that phrase? You you lose the debate the moment you. No, you Ben knows that expression. What is that, yeah. Ben? The, oh, well, I know. Uh, it, it, it's, it's Godwin's law. Godwin's law. That's it. Yeah, that's Godwin's law. On the odds of someone invoking Hitler, approach one. Yeah. Yeah. It, ex exactly. But it was also Donald Trump's fascination with cruelty, mm -hmm. violence, and force. 
and the inversion of it. And one of the, the great paradoxes was the embrace by evangelical Christians of, of Donald Trump, when in fact, Donald Trump's morality is not Christian, it's Nietzschean. It is the, the, the celebration of the Superman, of the use of ruthless force. And over the last few days, it, it, I mean, it has felt as if like the mask is off. And we're not talking about the Constitution. We're not talking about democracy. We're not talking about we're, we're we're talking about something that if you're a student, even a casual student of history, we've seen this before. It it does feel like fascism. And you wrote that you said there's always been a whiff of fascism in in Donald Trump. And and even as I say that, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is that that overstatement we get from the left. You know, the hysteria of the left. You know, the left has been accusing conservatives of being fascist since you know since I was mm-hmm. a kid, mm-hmm. and yet now the real stuff has come. And I think a lot of you know conservatives kind of ah oh, they roll their eyes. You know, you 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 called us all racist. You called us all fascist. Well, yeah, but like here we are. I know. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know. I know, Charlie. You and I were probably both experienced in this. You know, I've yeah. been called a racist. I've been called a fascist because I was on the right side of the spectrum. I know how that goes. Um, but you know, it doesn't. It doesn't give you a a permanent immunity. You know, you can't say that your side, because it's been falsely accused, is never correctly accused. So when Trump came along and was obviously racist, I was ready to say so. And people said, "No, no, no. There they go again. No, yeah, no. Exactly. This time, this time, there's there's merit to it." And uh, you have to be able to to shed those partisan blinders um, and see it. Yeah, the uh, the admiration for strength rather than values. The um, you know promising to commit war crimes or worse, um, waterboarding or worse uh, if if uh, if elected and during debates and saying that uh, they will you know the the interlocutor said well, that's illegal. Um, you know, maybe they won't obey such an order. Oh, they'll obey my orders, he said. And you know what? People thrill to that. Um, but that isn't conservatism. Only I can fix? That's not conservatism. Um, and uh, and, and the, the, the scapegoating of minorities, which we spoke of a minute ago, I mean, there were a million tells. His admiration for foreign dictators all of it. It was always there. And and I gave a quote, I don't know if people remember this, but I I noticed it. it in 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 2016, his uh loyal consigliere, uh Roger Stone, was making explicit physical threats of violence yes. right. against delegates to the Republican convention. Because even back then they were claiming that the states Ted Cruz won were, guess what? Rigged, fake, stolen. And they were threatening those delegates uh, that if they didn't vote to nominate Donald Trump, that they knew uh, Stone said, we're, we have your hotel numbers, yep. uh, your hotel room numbers. We know where you are. We will, we will find you. Um, you know, people, people saw all of that and they shrugged it off. They think it can't happen here. And uh, that may be the most, um, that may be the, 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 the most foolish uh, assurance of all. And, you know, and they, I would, they, they really cultivated that sort of gangster feel. And oh, absolutely. It's, it's I'm, I'm trying to think in the back of my mind, even people like Roger Kimball, who's become a complete, um, you know, pro Trumpist, was talking about that, that sort of that, that always that air of menace. And 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 you've written about this, Mona, also the the, the fetish for atrocities and war crimes. And you, you mentioned yes. it briefly. But the, the fact that, he, you know, a, one of the staples of his speech was this completely phony story of how um, General Pershing in World War One had had executed Muslims by uh, shooting them in the head with bullets dipped in in blood in, in, in blood. blood. I mean, this was just it was it was a sick sort of you know uh, violence pornography yep. um, thing. But the fact that as president he's got this thing about pardoning war criminals, people who have committed atrocities, and he's not done yet. And yet that was one of the things they accepted. I'm sorry, Ben, you wanted to jump in. No, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, uh, you all were much earlier on this than I was. And I remember someone reminded me recently that um, immediately after his election in 2016, I was saying there aren't, you know, violent groups of, you know, skinheads and thugs on the streets. There aren't brown shirts, you know, the, the, he, he didn't win a popular vote. And that's not what this country is. But looking at what happened in D.C. and, and, and in other capitals as well uh, last week and what is likely about to happen again, 
uh, it's hard not to see that, you know, the brown shirts had matching uniforms and march in formation because they had a German organizational ethic. And the, uh, and the, you know, the, the thugs that are descending on, uh, on Washington and other capitals are just brown shirts with an American or even a Trumpian organizational yeah. ethic, which is that they don't match and they are not very well coordinated, but it's the same instinct. Okay, so I, I, before we get in, I, I want to get into uh, to Liz Cheney and what's going on, Liz Cheney and, and Mitch McConnell and what's going on in the politics and what that means for the future of the party. But just before we move on, I, I, Ben, you, you right before we started doing this, uh, do, taping the podcast, you were describing what downtown Washington looked like. I mean, I have to tell you that that I am, like um, Bill Crystal, extremely alarmed about what's going to happen over the next few days, particularly when you have advertisements for the largest armed protest in American history, so that you may have thousands of people descending on Washington, D.C. with guns, with guns. You know, what could possibly go wrong? They're arming the National Guard. They're bringing out massive numbers of, of, of troops. But the possibility of violence is tremendous. You're not going to get any contrition from the president. You know, in an Earth 2.0, a president of the United States at this point would would appeal to his supporters, please stand down. Don't do this. I lost the election. The election was uh, was 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 fair. We need to respect the peaceful transition of power. Donald Trump is not going to do that. So you were in downtown Washington today. What what what's the vibe? Yeah, well, I'll compare it. I, I was briefly uh, in the Capitol Hill area, not as close as Barry was to the uh, to the crowds, but 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 last week during the insurrection, I was I was on Capitol Hill when we learned that the uh, Capitol had been breached. And um, I should say, by way of context, that I've lived in the D.C. area for all of my life, and the vast majority of it has been in the post nine eleven era. So I'm used to the heavy security and the bollards outside buildings and. Uh, you know, 50 different police forces, depending on which block you're on. And I had never seen such a scramble that happened last week. And so many different emergency vehicles and rushing around the city, clearly trying to make, uh, you know, head or tail of what was going on, clearly trying to catch up with the uh, insurrectionists. Uh, This morning, I was again in downtown DC. And um, it does look like they are much more prepared, but it's serious. Uh, you know, K Street, uh, the infamous K Street, is one of the few major east-west uh, arteries through the city, and it's partially blocked off, and not just with police cars, but you know, they brought out the big heavy snow plows and, and, and dump trucks and things like that to really block traffic. And a lot of the routes onto and off of K Street are blocked by police uh, and uh you know, major, major routes like Pennsylvania Avenue and Connecticut Avenue are blocked off. And all around the mall, you know, there are, there are streets cutting through the, the grassy areas where people gather. And uh, all, the, all the areas where pedestrians can gather are already fenced off. So it's not, a, uh, it's not like the uh, sort of defensive perimeter they had around the Capitol. It looks more like they are uh, intentionally going to try to uh, pen in the demonstrators rather than allowing them free reign over the city. Uh, I did okay. not see any National Guard on my trip in this morning, but I've heard they are there. Uh, and it really it really looks like they're preparing the city for uh, for something major. Okay, so I'll that, just add really quick that my sure. husband was uh, planning to go to work, uh, planning to go into his office in D.C. today and got a text message saying that the entire building has been barricaded, the garage is locked and sealed, and that Anybody whose car was in the garage, they're not going to be seeing their car for a long time. Oh my gosh! So th- that's that's somewhat reassuring in a creepy kind of way. Uh, but also, you know, we do have the ability. The federal government has the ability to create a bubble over Washington D.C. You know, for these these major events, we do not have the similar ability in the fifty states. That's also the concern. This is not just going to be in Washington D.C. So uh, we have to just kind of hold our breath. I would say hold your breath until. Um, the transition of power, but this is not over then. Okay, so Mona, I want to talk about Liz Cheney. Um, this statement that she issued yesterday, I mean, this is, you know, a, a double amazing thing. I mean, number one, that she, number, you know, the, the chairman of the House of Republican Caucus stands up and says, I am going to vote to uh, impeach the president of my own party. Amazing. But the way she did it, and it's a brief statement, but it, it, it's, let me just read it. On January 6, 2021, a violent mob attacked the United States Capitol to obstruct the process of our democracy and stop the counting of presidential electoral votes. This insurrection caused injury, death, and destruction in the most sacred space in our republic. Much more will become clear in coming days and weeks, but what we know now is enough. 
the president of the United States summoned this mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Wow. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the president. The president could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. I will vote to impeach the president. Mona. Wow. Bravo. Usually don't talk that way. Hmm? Yeah, that is what we needed to hear. Um, Thank you, Liz Cheney. Um, So again, you know, I wish some of this had been said earlier, but but that was that was stunning and uh, and well said. It's just you know the the truth is bracing, isn't it? Um, and when one person has the courage to just tell the truth, it can um, encourage others. So I I hope that it will have that effect. Well, that, and and that's the that's the political effect, at least in the short term, um, is to give uh, other Republicans kind of a hall pass. Uh, you know, everybody's looking around who's going to be the first. We don't know what the number of votes are going to be. But I, look, I don't know Liz Cheney. Do you know her? I, no, I know Mary Cheney. Okay, <laughs> her um, sister. So I mean, Liz, Liz Cheney obviously is a is has a national profile, but she's she's from Wyoming, where Donald Trump just got about seventy percent of the vote. And you know, I, I saw some speculation online about you know what's her angle, what's she doing, is she pushing? I don't see any upside for her personally. I mean, um, and, and again, I don't want to hand out too many kudos to people who have gone along with this for a long time, but this strikes me as um, a, a, a pure act of principle at this point. She's going to be a pariah within the the House conference internally, and she may even lose her chairmanship. Who knows? Um, she certainly put a target on her back in terms of re-election. Uh, so give me your sense about what, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the politics well, oh, you know, Cheney doing this. So, so it's more than the politics, um, because for for four years uh, we've been saying, you know, the the members of Congress um, are and the Senate they're they're fearful of a tweet. They're fearful of mm-hmm. Trump's base. They're fearful of losing their seats if they have the courage to stand up for what's right. And and that was probably right. Um, for a long time, they were simply afraid of losing their seats. It has now escalated way beyond that. Now, when you put your head above the parapet, you really are endangering yourself and your family. And people are saying that. Members of Congress, there's a new elected member from Michigan. I think his name is Meyer. Mm -hmm. Um, He said he expects to vote. I think he said he expects to vote pro impeachment and that he expects it would not surprise him if there were an assassination, excuse me, an assassination attempt against him. Um, And, uh, and, and that's what, that's what we're dealing with now. It's yeah. Yeah. This is America. Now there were reports yesterday or or the day before that uh, the uh, house Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy was telling his conference not to criticize publicly uh, those Republicans who voted for impeachment because it could be dangerous to their safety, right? Not like don't yeah. criticize them because for party unity, don't criticize them so that, you know, people don't take it as an invitation to shoot at them. So to say, you know, Liz Cheney's putting a target on her back politically might be, you know, is certainly right. She may be putting a target on her back more literally than that. Yeah, uh, that's, so, so last, that's so last week that we're talking about, uh, you know, tweets yeah. and everything. By the way, just sort of um, as a digression, it, it did occur to me last night, and I tweeted this out, that maybe Twitter is saving Donald Trump from himself, because you can imagine the crazy deranged shit that he'd be tweeting out right now uh, about Mitch McConnell and about uh, Liz, Liz Cheney. I mean, it's clear that he's not going to apologize. He's not going to be you know, con- contrite. Uh, so, can I, can I just did, say a word about that sure. just real quick? Uh, ben Sass mentioned this. I do hope people get this picture in their brains and don't ever forget it. That um, the the reports out of the White House on the afternoon of the attack on the Capitol were that while everyone else was panicking and saying this is horrible, look, there's violence, they're banging, they're they're hurting people. Trump was thrilled. He yeah. was enjoying it. No, th- and that has got to be front and centered in people's minds. So, again, one of the big questions that, of course, we're we're sort of dancing around is you know how much does this change things? I, I have to say that the Mitch McConnell 
Um, the Mitch McConnell thing is, is remarkable. And I think people need to understand two things. Number one, uh, this story would not have appeared that Mitch McConnell is happy with the impeachment, might vote to, 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 uh, to remove. This story would not have appeared if Mitch McConnell did not want it to appear. I mean, this is this is the way this guy works. Uh, this didn't just get leaked out by some anonymous aide. That they they know what they're doing here. So, and I, I'm surprised, even though I wrote a piece last week saying Mitch McConnell is is done with Trump. But I mean, clearly he hates the guy. He's furious at Trump for his lack of remorse. He's he, you know he's mad at Trump, obviously, for you know losing uh, the, the 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 Senate. And I think he's just completely fit, fed up. So. Give me that sense. I mean, Axios is reporting there's a better than 50-50 chance that that McConnell would vote to impeach President Trump. I mean, look, that, that's an amazing political moment for us, isn't it? It, it is amazing. I, I would be curious in both of your views on this, though. I mean, it, it is amazing and, uh, and good, um, although well, the cynical side of my brain says maybe he figures, you know, uh, he got his judges and yeah, okay. he got his tax cut. And now Trump is nothing but trouble, lost him his Senate majority, and he wants to kick him. But in any case, um, whatever his motivations may or may not be, it's good. But I'm curious what you guys think about whether this would take would would bring along, you know, 16 other Republicans who would vote to remove because you remember that it was just a couple of weeks ago where uh, McConnell was telling his caucus, do not, do not question the electoral college results. Do not do that. And, you know, a dozen said they were going to go ahead and do it anyway. So I don't know how much um, authority McConnell really has over his conference. What do you guys think? Okay, let me go first here. Um, I think that if Mitch McConnell said he's going to vote to remove, I think they'd get they'd get close to those that sixteen votes. Hmm. I think he has enough. I mean, keep in mind he doesn't need the majority of the caucus. He doesn't no. need any. He just needs sixteen other Republicans. And also, just remember what those votes were in the United States Senate it, it, to uh, to reject the electoral college votes from Arizona and Pennsylvania. It was ninety two. And 93 votes against the, the motion to reject. So mm -hmm. in the end, McConnell got his way and was was somewhat vindicated. What do you what do you think, man? So I, I'm not an expert on on McConnell or the Senate or their procedure, but my understanding has always been that McConnell's instinct was to keep the Republicans in the Senate together. And uh that the iron fist metaphor um isn't isn't quite the right one that he rules his conference as an iron fist, but more that he is constantly lead blocking and preventing any member of his conference when he can from having to take a difficult vote. And it's moments like these in in uh, constitutional situations like the counting of the electoral votes, like an impeachment trial, where the Senate is obligated to take a vote and he can't block it. That maybe some of his uh, traditional leadership style breaks down a little bit because he doesn't have the uh, the power to control what comes to the floor. Then again, on the other hand, I also remember the last impeachment when two days, I think, before they uh, were going to take a vote on whether or not to call witnesses, which everyone thought was going to be a major inflection point, he announced that he didn't have the votes. And that was actually a, you know, as you were saying, Charlie, a sort of cynical Machiavellian uh, maneuver to shore up the support for the uh, right wing of the caucus and ensure that he did get the votes in the end to block witnesses. So uh, I'm, I'm never one to trust that Mitch McConnell is acting uh, altruistically. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not getting my hopes up. No, I'm in, look, um, you can certainly imagine in MAGA world, they're looking at Liz Cheney. Oh, you know, establishment Republicans, neoconservatives, uh, Mitch McConnell. I mean, they'll just flip back to, to, to hating him. So uh, this does certainly does not mean that, you know, Trumpism is being purged from the Republican Party. But what it does suggest is I think there is going to be a Republican civil war. And so there's going to be space now to debate the future, because I think a lot of us were, had been under the assumption, going back to your point, Mona, how this could have ended. And I think that, you know, your your scenario was more likely than, than than not, which is that Republicans would have rationalized their support for Donald Trump, that he would have maintained his hold on the base and that Trump would be forever. You know, mm -hmm. as Jonathan Lance has said, that he would run in 2024, freeze the freeze the field. Nobody could have beaten him in a 2024 primary so that, that the Republican Party would have been in the thrall of Donald Trump for the next four years. 
that's no longer the case. I think, I mean, I think that that is, is, uh, that's, that's, that has changed. Well, at least though, you're going to have this room to debate the future of the party. Okay. So we talked about McConnell. I think it's also amazing. Speaking of amazing, remarkable things, Kevin McCarthy, who's been this reliable toady, he's kind of gone wobbly. This is what Mike Allen is reporting. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy would love a Trumpless world, really, but doesn't want to knife him with fingerprints. <laughs> this this school of thought wants to let Trump do himself in without a big party fight over his sins and sentence. So um, even McCarthy is is wobbly. And of course, you know, in the background to both McConnell and McCarthy, uh, the money's drying up. Corporate America is turning against the Sedition Caucus. So. Where does this go? I mean, is is the Republican Party? I mean, how how does this how does this change the prospects? I mean, all I can say is there's going to be a fight when it wasn't clear there was going to be a fight before. I don't know who wins though. That's my take. Um. So yeah, I I agree with you about the fight. I I just also add something else though. I mean, it's one of the things that has been a characteristic of the last number of years is that, um. Elites have failed in their functions, right? I mean, there's been a lot of talk against elites, but the truth is the elites caved, right? They caved to the masses. You exactly. like Trump? Fine, we're for Trump. And what you've seen in the last few weeks, uh, last few days, really, since the since the riot, is uh, elites saying, "Okay, that's it." So Simon and Schuster, we're canceling Josh Hawley's book contract. Uh, big corporations, Marriott, and all the rest of them saying, "We're not donating to members of Congress who voted to decertify a free and fair election." End of story. Um, you know, and and Twitter, Facebook, saying, "Trump, you're off." This is an assertion by elites that they can draw lines and that they can and that they can punish people. And the the people who've toadied to Trump have never had to pay a price from the elites either, right? I mean, they they've been able to play to the mob and not pay a price with the elites. And it'll be interesting to see now whether the elites asserting their power um, can can really affect things. And I and I think they can. Well, so if, if, if they stick, I mean, Steve Scalise is going around assuring his fellow Republicans, apparently, don't worry, the money's coming back. Ah, these guys will cave because they've caved in the past. Mm, well, and it, that he may be right about that. Except so, Charlie, that let me they, ask. They, they, they caved. They, let, me, I, let me just jump in here. They, yeah. they caved because they went with a power. When Donald mm -hmm. Trump was in the White House, Donald Trump is now the ex will be the ex-disgrace president. He doesn't have the power. And so Don this is why I was always a little bit skeptical of a Donald Trump would be more powerful than ever. No, 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 no. Being no. an ex-president is not as powerful as being the president. And now suddenly that he's the lamest of lame ducks, it is interesting the whole like, who? Do, don't really know you. I'm sorry, Ben. Go ahead. No, so I wanted to ask you, I mean, is it possible that, you know, this, this fight that McConnell and McCarthy uh, apparently want to have is even winnable? Is it possible to reconstruct a coalition where like clearly the the really crazy wingnut MAGA types, they hate people like Mitt Romney and are going to hate people like Liz Cheney way more than they hate Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, right? I mean, it's it, in any other situation, it would be the narcissism of small differences, except for there are actually no. major differences between being yeah. a Republican who kind of made certain compromises uh, and, you know, some of them were shameful and a crazy wingnut conspiracy theorist whack job. I, I don't know that this is actually a fight that McCarthy and McConnell can win. I don't a, know. Either. At least without, you know, shaving off 30, 40 percent who who knows of the Republican Party. Well Josh Kraschauer in the National Journal uh has a piece of the crack up of the Republican Party. And what he basically argues is there are no good political options for leaders going forward. The the GOP is hopelessly divided. There's no putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. I think he's right about that. I guess the the one question I have is, I mean, look, this is a fight I think the Republicans have to have. They have to deal with the crazies. They have to deal with the alt-right. They need to do now what they did before. No political party survives unless it's concerned about its political hygiene. So it's certainly possible that these nut jobs will be more and more marginalized, that they will be forced back, you know, that as the elites basically draw the lines, as the crazy becomes obvious, as as people are repelled by the violence and the conspiracy theories and the lies, that they become pushed into a corner. But as you point out, even pushed into a corner, they may represent 20 or 30 percent of the Republican electorate. 
So there's there, there's 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 no magic bullet here. Not in the short run, no. In the short run, it looks very very bad for right of center politics because uh, they, it has so disgraced itself. So. Um, okay, so you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, you know the the the, the Romney Cheney, you know, party uh, would be would be a a rump party too, just like the crazies would. So, right, that, yeah. that's true. So, what do we think about Mike Pence? Let's talk about Mike Pence because <laughs> um, we we very I thought kind of a fascinating story in the uh, in the New York Times about how you know Pence has been the loyalist of the loyal um, you know members of Trump world. You know, finally reached his limit with, with Trump. And I, I, I love this quote, you know, the this insider quote. So Trump is pushing Pence to to throw out the election, to do something he had no legal authority to do. I mean, this is something we're, we're sort of learning is that Trump actually believed one of the dumbest, most batshit crazy things out there, which is the vice president had the power to overturn an election, which is just I mean, that is demented, deranged with hair on it. But anyway, as, <laughs> as, as he's pushing him to do it, they're on the phone. And Trump says, you can either go down in history as a patriot or you can go down in history as a pussy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> OK, so Pence decided that that he was going to go down as something else. So, you know, he did in the end, he did the right thing. Right. It's hilarious that Trump thinks that one of those options is still available to Pence. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah well you did the right uh, thing right right i mean having uh, yeah and uh you know i guess i yeah you give him a particle of credit but honestly the guy has been a gelding for a very long time and uh it's uh i'm glad he, i'm glad there was something he found he couldn't do but um and it was important i don't want to diminish it too much but uh but also, you know, sicking a a a, a frothing mob uh, on somebody and saying, you know, where's Mike Pence? Let's hang him. Um, that you know, sometimes people take that personally. It turns out. Well, this, by the way, is one of those the something to keep in mind as as we watch the congressional debate uh, throughout the day. Why this? Why this is different? Why the, today is different than any other day? Which is that. The this is very, very personal for members of Congress. They experience this at a visceral level. This is not people sitting back and going, OK, so, you know, let's parse out this phone call with the president of Ukraine or let's parse out, you know, what Bill Clinton said during this deposition. I mean, this this is more immediate and more graphic than anything that members of Congress have experienced in terms of an impeachment. We're not to mention it's on television. So you, you see the, the deathbed conversions, which I have to admit I'm having a little bit of schadenfreude. Uh, Britt Hume has decided that, that, uh, that Trump has done politically. All the stuff he said about the election being stolen was balderdash. He fed mm-hmm. into the veins of his supporters. That got them into the fever that led to last week. Uh, Tucker and Tucker Carlson sort of dances around. Geraldo Rivera tweeted out a loyal friend hounded without mercy by Democrats intent on destroying him from day one. Then he lost the election. It made him crazy or sort of acknowledged or revealed a dysfunction. I had refused to see. He then unleashed a mob to make war on their own government uh, five to their doom. Liz Cheney is right. So Geraldo is, is done. But I, I suppose there he, he does actually admit that, you know, Donald Trump did not go crazy after the election. I mean, and this goes to your piece, Mona. Yeah. This is who Donald Trump always was. Right. Right. No, it was, um, it was obvious. And, uh, if, uh, you know, so, you know, it's one of those situations where you say, great, you know, when somebody hits you at, uh, on the side of the head with a two by four, you, you, you get the sense knocked into you. Great. But it shouldn't have taken that. Um, it really shouldn't. And especially for people who get paid to offer their brilliant insights like Britt Hume, um, who did nothing but make excuses for Trump and do the anti-anti thing all this time and went on about the hysteria of the people who were had Trump derangement syndrome. And, you know, I just I'm sorry uh, that, yeah. you know, not not forgiven. No. 
<laughs> no, not 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 forgiven at this point, particularly because, um, again, for the last five years, when they thought it was to their advantage, when they were able to stiff the throne, they took a very, very different approach. And and so, you know, n- now that uh, now that Donald Trump is down and out, they're yeah. willing to take their kicks. Well, you know, that's that reflects as much on them as on anybody else. OK, well, exactly. So, I saw so Rick we- Santorum like the day the, 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 when when the election had been lost. Okay, and and Rick Santorum did acknowledge that it had been lost, but but you know he goes on CNN, starts saying all these really harsh things about Trump. It's like, oh, funny when he when he had power, you were you know you were you, you were polishing the apple for him. So, so is there anything we've missed? I mean, I I, I think the um, America is going to be spending the day watching this. This is an historic day. This feels different than the other uh, impeachment uh, efforts. Um, I, I had said the other day that I was uh, really open to the idea of withholding it so as, as not to step on the, the Biden administration. I, I think I was wrong about that. I don't think there's any traction to that. They're going to pass it today. It will be immediately sent over to the Senate. There's I just have one question. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. My question is, why is the Senate in recess and can they immediately call it back into session and get this done in two days? Why not? They're in recess because they don't want to confirm Biden's cabinet appointees. Okay, but that's that's utterly reckless. I mean, that in itself is part of the problem. And, and, you know, Tim Miller wrote about this yesterday. The Republicans are still trying to stop the transition. Okay, so, Ben, my understanding is there is an emergency provision that allows Chuck Schumer to call the Senate back into session. But Mitch McConnell might go along with it. Up until last night, the assumption was, well, that's not going to happen. Why are you bothering to waste your time on that? And there's no way Mitch McConnell is going to do that. But that could happen. They could call it back into session. I mean, they 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 could be they could be on the floor Friday. So I guess that the would, question is, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be great. And and the difference between if there is any between the last impeachment and this one is the timing. That you know there was so much made of the fact that the. Uh, the last impeachment stretched over the new year and into the election year. Everyone's just been reelected this time. So, you know, even the House members who have to stand every two years and basically spend all their time running for reelection, they're at the point of maximum independence right now. Okay, and so here- it is important that the, um, I mean, the, the, the point that James Clyburn and others have made, which is, you know, they don't want to interfere with the new Biden administration's ability to get its people confirmed and so forth. That is important. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, but that, that all the more argues for um, a very, very swift trial. It, there's absolutely no reason. There's nothing in the constitution that forbids a very speedy trial here. Nothing at all. No, there's nothing. By the way, among the many remarkable things, um, these reports that nobody in the White House is working this issue. There's no defense <laughs> coming from the White House, right. and some people are speculating. Well, maybe nobody wants to defend all of this, but that's again kind of remarkable. Okay, so here's the most difficult question, the most difficult technical gotcha question that only Ben Parker could possibly answer. Okay, oh, are you no. ready for this? <laughs> okay, so let's let's pretend. Let's play what if. Let's pretend that they come back on Friday. And Mitch McConnell announces that he's for uh, removing Donald Trump from office. They vote. There are 67 votes. Donald Trump is removed from the the presidency. So my assumption is that Mike Pence becomes the president immediately, correct? I believe that's so. Okay. That's not the hard question. Okay. The hard question is, so, so, so Mike Pence is president of the United States from, say, midnight Friday to Wednesday, correct? Yeah. Does he get a presidential library? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. No, Mike Pence gets a presidential hobby lobby. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Mike Mike Pence is the 46th president of the United States, and Joe Biden becomes the 47th president, correct? I guess that would be right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always thought right from the very beginning, when I thought it was a joke, little suspecting that he would actually win. Um, I used to say that Donald Trump, if he became president, would get not a library, but the Donald Trump presidential library and casino. <laughs> and massage parlor. And massage parlor, right. Yeah, four seasons. <laughs> on, a, 
on a slightly more serious note, so if it does dawn on Donald Trump that this might actually happen, that he might not have until next Wednesday, he could rush forward with some of the pardons. And we're getting reporting over the last uh, you know, few hours that, that, in fact, that he's very seriously considering the self-pardon or you know, pardoning himself and his kids. That might be the kind of panicky move that might actually push the Senate over the line. Because, I, I mean, that would be the most egregious assault on the rule of law, where basically the president would declare, I can't be criminally held criminally responsible when I'm president, and then I will protect myself afterward. And so the president would be that any president of the United States could break any law whatsoever, and then on the way out, just pardon himself. I mean, that basically does turn the president into a, in, into a quasi-king. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that there would be senators who would say, okay, screw this. We got to go. We, we got to do this. Thoughts? Uh, yeah. I, well, for what it's worth, I've never doubted for a moment that he's going to issue a self-pardon and a pardon of his kids. The, the pardon of his kids is not controversial. I mean, that that can happen. You can grant a pardon to another. The only question that, that, that has never been resolved by the uh, courts is whether a self-pardon is valid. It's never been tested. We'll see. But I have no doubt he'll do it. I agree with that. No doubt he'll do it. And I am firmly in the, uh, uh, if available and if proper, the Trump should be investigated and if necessary, indicted for federal crimes after he leaves office. Um, I understand it's a hotly debated issue. I think that's where I come down. And by granting himself a pardon, he would almost be daring the Biden administration to do so. Right. Oh, I mean, I, I, naturally- absolutely. A- and he would be daring all the state prosecutors to move ahead as well. But yes, in terms of, of the Biden administration, because the only way you test a presidential self-pardon is if you bring charges against him. So right, that's it, right. and their instinct, they, they must do it because we have to get an answer to this question about whether the president is literally above the law. Above the law. That's yeah. right. And their instinct would probably be to say, you know, we don't want to become the kind of country that automatically, uh, you know, it criminally investigates its former presidents. And besides, the Biden administration has its own agenda and they want to get moving doing the work for the American people. But when you're presented with a constitutional uh bag of refuse like this you only you know it's burning on your doorstep you really your only choice is to get a fire extinguisher that would be in the form of a federal criminal investigation assuming that there is a proper one to open so uh i i'm almost excited for it is that bad am i becoming too nihilistic now no. appreciate no, your no. delicacy there in the language <laughs> nihilistic. by the way um is an indication of how things are shifting in the world while we were talking uh the ceo of uh, of home depot is it ken langone yes ken langone, um you know big big maga guy uh says i feel betrayed uh, he's blasting trump and the capitol rioters vowing to support biden if it doesn't break every american's heart something is wrong it breaks my heart for sure i didn't sign up for that Ken uh, Langone uh, said of what what happened. So he said last Wednesday was a disgrace and should never have happened in this country if it doesn't break. Anyway, so um, you you are you're you're seeing um, erosion of support, the kind of support that that Republican politicians um, might actually take very seriously because it involves money. Yeah. Again, this this is the speaking up. It's important. It is. Mona Charon, Ben Parker, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And a quick reminder, tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, we are going to have a Bulwark Plus exclusive live stream. We're going to sort through all of this. The entire Bulwark uh, Brain Trust will be there. Please consider joining us, um, and we will talk to you at 8 o'clock Eastern Time tonight. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.